We are mightily indebted to Laurie and Ashley and to Patricia who prepared all that food that we enjoyed yesterday. And then Laurie and Ashley did all the setting up and the preparation for uh, the two meals. The food was just delicious, six huge uh, things of uh, different kinds of soup. And it was just marvelous. A lot, a lot of work that they put into that, and we are indebted to them, all the cleaning up they did. Uh, almost all of our men were present. We had about six or seven outside the church here that came. If we hadn't had uh, a single one of those, it would have been worth our time and effort. It, it was just... Uh, Unbelievable day. At the close of that day then, we had that pumpkin carving that uh, Hope and Jim uh, allow their home to be open and to be enjoyed. A huge group over there and uh, more huge things of soup. Uh, it, it was just, uh, that, that was enjoyable. At the close of the day, uh, one of the men said, this has been a good day. I thought that was a monumental understatement. Uh, and the job that uh, Alan Webster did yesterday was beyond words. Beyond words. I, I thought, I wish we could have filled this building up with men uh, and had chairs in the aisles from other congregations here. It was just, I, I wish that brother could go somewhere every Saturday of every week, month, and year doing what he did here yesterday. I, I don't know of a more talented man in the church than Alan Webster. He is just beyond words in my judgment. Uh, what he does, what he accomplishes, and that material yesterday was just uh, indescribable in its value and, and the monumental amount of material in what he did was just uh, mind-numbing, mind-numbing. And it was indeed a great, 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 great day. I uh, try not to, but almost envy that brother uh, with the kind of ability and uh, mind that he has and and what he accomplishes is just, it's just astounding. He is a mighty uh, servant of God, and he, uh, he has done worlds of work already, and he's only 52. That's mighty young to me, looking back on that age. But uh, it, was a, it was a super, super, super day, and we appreciate everyone who had a role in that uh, Jeff and Aubrey got that together, and they couldn't have picked a better man uh, from anywhere in the brotherhood. They could not have picked a better man than the one that was chosen to uh, to do that men's day. It was indeed a great day. Our fourth lesson on the subject, the purpose of preaching. What is the purpose of preaching? Ask the average man on the street, and you would not be able to answer that question from a biblical perspective, they would not. It is obvious that many preachers 
do not know the right answer to this question, and many of them are in pulpits of the Church of Christ. One might ask, how do you know that? Well, just look at the kind of preaching being done. I hear statements about that kind of preaching being done all of the time from people, men and women, all over the brotherhood who are sick to death of much of the preaching that is being done under the guise of gospel preaching in the church today. It is apparent that much of the preaching being done today is feel good preaching. Just look at the status of so many congregations and see if that's not the case. Look at the conduct and behavior that stems from the kind of preaching that people hear today. It is apparent that much of the preaching being done today is indeed feel good preaching. People want to feel good about themselves in spite of what they believe and how they live. Only one person has a right to feel good about himself. And that's a person who has obeyed the gospel and is endeavoring to live the Christian life. No man has a right to feel right when he's not doing right. Did Adam and Eve have a right to feel good when they ate of the forbidden fruit? Cain, when he refused to worship as God commanded? Noah, when he got drunk and lay exposed in his tent? Abraham, when he lied about his relationship with his wife? Jacob, when he lied to his father as to who he was? Joseph's brothers, when they lied to their father about their own brother? Moses and Aaron, when they struck the rock? Aaron, when he made a golden calf and led people astray. Did Israel have a right to feel good about themselves when they refused to take the land that God had promised them over and over again? Those people during the period of the judges who ceased not from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. Saul, when he spent 40 years neglecting to inquire of the Ark of the Covenant that symbolized God's presence with the nation. To David... At the close of each of these days, one with adultery and another with murder have a right to feel good about himself. Solomon, when he turned away from God, filled the nation with idolatry. Judas, when he placed the betrayal kiss on the cheek of Christ. Judas says, along with so many others, always been a sad man in my mind. A sad, tragic life. A sad death by his own hand. And he went to his own place. And it was not the right one. Peter, when he played the hypocrite before Gentiles, it is evident that much of the preaching today is entertainment preaching. Some years ago, Bill Hybels established the Willow Creek Community Church in Illinois. He has been featured on public broadcasting system. A story has been done on one of the major networks about this man. 
He has been promoted as the wave of the future in religion. They did a survey of a community of people not connected with the church. And in order to get them ready to build a church that would be what they thought would please God and aid the community, they went about this community before establishing this church, raising this question. What would you like in a church? If you ask a question like that to non-religious, worldly people, what kind of response do you think you're going to get? The one they got. And that's the reason that they started one entertainment program after another. And that kind of rank silliness has invaded the church that Jesus said, I will build, did build, and for which he died. We are studying this series of lessons for this fourth one now, based on Acts chapter 2. And one of the major points we have made is that the Old Testament needs to be the basis of much of our preaching because it prepares the man to receive the truth. It's an attitude developer and it sharpens our minds. It gets our minds ready to receive the truths of the New Testament. A man or a woman who has spent some time in the Old Testament is ready for Matthew 1 to Revelation 22. And is ready to respond in heart, loving obedience to every word of God on every subject. No attitude of debating, of arguing, of I know the Bible says that, but just tell me what God says and I'm ready to do it. One could pick out just one of the many books of the Old Testament and come to the New Testament with that attitude because that book and so much in it is an attitude developer. Really everything in it, those 39 books of the Old Testament get man's heart and mind ready to receive the truth. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, the God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. And the serpent, and the, and, and the serpent said, uh, she said, If you eat of that tree, though, that forbidden, God said, You're going to die. The serpent said, Oh, no, you, you're not going to die. For God doesn't know that in the day that you eat thereof that uh, your eyes shall be open. And you shall be as God's, knowing good and evil. Well, when Eve saw that the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eye, tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, did eat, gave all sort of husband with her, and he did eat. Genesis 3, 1 to 6. Is that not an attitude developer? That develops our minds in regard to what our problem is. It's sin, and that's all it is. And every bad thing grows out of that. Every trial, every difficulty, every problem in life grows out of what started in Genesis 3, 6. That's the reason we start back there, because that's where the problem started. What's Genesis 3.15, Genesis 12.3? God's answer to the problem, the first two gospel sermons. 
Those points right there are attitude developers. They develop our mind over what our problem is and what the solution is. And it gets our minds ready for the rest of the Old Testament. After we read Genesis 3 to 12, and especially 3, 6, 3, 15, and 12, 3, we then are ready for the next 4,000 years, and our minds just soak up every chapter after every chapter we read and study and meditate upon as we see this mighty, omnipotent God working out this glorious plan through the seed of woman, the seed of Abraham, to make a reality in Christ and the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And Adam knew Eve, Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare a son, called his name Cain. She bare another son, called his name Abel. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought her the fruit of the ground and offering her the Lord. Abel, he also brought her the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. And Cain was wroth. God said, why are you wroth? If you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well, then sin lieth at the door. And it's just waiting to grab hold of you, to rise up and grab hold of your life. Genesis 4, 1 to 7. That's an attitude developer text. That's God for a number of times already getting our minds ready to accept the concept of uh, patternism. That's a great worship experience there. And that gets our minds ready as we have already been worked on in these first few chapters of the relationships between God's grace and man's obedient faith. God has a pattern for everything. And he had a pattern for Cain and Abel's worship. What an attitude developer this is. Getting our minds ready for our own worship services and helping us to realize we're coming into the presence of God. We better listen to God and listen to his pattern, look at his pattern and do exactly what he says for us to do. Abel by faith did that. Cain operated according to self-will. My, what lessons those are. Self-will is man's problem. That grows out of selfishness. That is our problem. That's the reason the hardest command in the Bible to obey is Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Because every waking moment, we're in a battle with self. What I want in contrast to what God wants. What I need to do in contrast to what God, or, or in harmony with what God wants me to do. Trying to make our wants and our needs the same so that we will need what we want and want what we need. And that will enable us to do the right thing. Abel operated by faith. That's based on what God says. Cain listened to God, knew what God wanted, just like Abel did, but he worked according to self-will. What is Genesis 6, 7, and 8? That's an attitude developer. Every trait of God, every characteristic of God is in Genesis 6, 7, and 8, every single one of them. That text is so monumental in its significance in developing our minds, working on our minds, preparing our minds for the acceptance of every God said in the Old Testament and New Testament, that Jesus looked back on that and used that as a portrait of the coming in and the destruction of the universe. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, nor not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. 
But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving marriage until Noah entered the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. Matthew 24, 36 to 39. That's how powerful Genesis 6, 7, and 8 is. How can a sober-minded man, he cannot, a sober-minded woman, she cannot read Genesis 6, 7, and 8 and not get some insights into the nature of God. How God relates to man. How God views sin that has become so evil that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart is only evil continually. Oh, what insights it gives us into every trait of God. Look at the knowledge, the wisdom, the might, the, the omniscience, the omnipotence, the justice, the wrath, the love, the grace, the mercy, all of these traits just running together and building this portrait of God in those three monumental chapters, Genesis 6, 7, and 8. What attitude developers, what preparation those three chapters alone give our minds and hearts to get us ready for where we are now under the New Testament in the church that Jesus said, I will build with no argumentative spirit with regard to a single command or demand of the gospel. Leviticus 10, 1 and 2. The whole book of Leviticus is an attitude developer. All of these books are attitude, heart developers, mining our hearts and preparing them like gold to shine as the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And how often have we looked at Leviticus 10, 1 and 2. Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron, priests of God, they offered strange fire. What was strange about it? There was no authority for it. No command for it. How many times here at Panama Street and churches like this congregation all over the world, domestic, international, pounded away with this great text that is a heart developer. Preparing the minds, giving us insights into the way God operates. Another example of improper worship, not based on faith, motivated by love. All we have to offer and all God demands. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision of anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Numbers chapter 27 to 12. Moses, the meekest man on earth. One to whom Christ is likened. Aaron, the high priest. Oh, what insights this gives us into our own nature. If a man like Moses could err as he did, in speaking instead of striking, uh, striking instead of speaking. And how serious was that? You know, liberalism would just laugh in our faces trying to make a difference between speaking and striking. Such a small, insignificant thing. Talk to me about love and grace and faith and blood. They're not able to see that those very things are in this text. And all 
like text in all of the 39 books of the Old Testament. They cannot discern that. They're unable to discern that. Their minds have not been prepared and made ready for the things of God. They have, if they've ever studied, ceased to study the Old Testament. You think the liberal churches in Montgomery and around the world spend much time in the Old Testament? They don't think there's any gospel back there. Not a bit. They think a thoroughly converted person by liberalism thinks that the real only gospel we have in the 66 books of the Bible are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. At best, Acts to them is second-rate gospel and Romans to Jude with all of those laws which they loathe and despise constitute no gospel at all. They want the victory of revelation without the appropriation of Acts and the perpetuation of Romans to Jude. They want the benefits of what they call the only gospel by ignoring the book of Acts and Romans to Jude. But they want that victory of revelation. God said, what you have done, Moses and Aaron, is an act of unbelief. That's how serious that was. And you're not going to take these people in the land of Canaan. You're going to die on this side of it. And when Moses asked God later, please let me take the land, God was angry. His wrath was kindled. And he in essence said, don't you talk to me about that ever again. He let him see the land, but he died on this side of it. Joshua 6, 1 to 5. What an attitude developer that is. I'm going to give you the land. That's grace, but not without obedience on your part. These men of war are going to have to march around this city. And one time every day, six times on the sixth day. And then the rest of you have got to shout when you hear the seven priests blow on the seven trumpets. And when I hear the sounds of the trumpets and the sounds of shouting following this, marching around the city, then you will have what I've already said I'm going to give you. What an attitude developer that is. Just pounding away as do all of these other passages. The relationship between God's grace and love and the appropriation of it in the obedience of faith. We learn all of this as we move through these 39 books of the Old Testament. We learn about God's mighty wrath and fiery fury when we allow what happened in Genesis 3-6 to dominate our lives. And the world is lost today. The religious world because it's all of our liberal brethren are in a spiritual mess because they've not allowed the Old Testament to instruct them about the nature of God and the relationship of God's grace and uh, man's obedient faith to these marvelous laws that God has granted to us. 1 Kings 20, 35 and following. What a powerful lesson. Syria had been beaten by Israel. God says they're coming back next year. You better get ready. And they did. 
and they were defeated again. But Ahab spared Benadad, the king of Syria's life. So God instructed one of the prophets to go to a man and say, in the word of the Lord, strike me. Beat up on me. Roll up your fist and harm my physical being. Hmm. This man said, oh, you could just see his mind working. I'm not about to do that. Strike a prophet of God? Why, I wouldn't strike you with my little finger. You can hear his mind thinking like that. And this prophet said, okay. When you leave me, a lion is going to meet you and kill you. And that's exactly what occurred. Was that an attitude developer for the next man that he went to and said, strike me? Do you not, can you not see that that, that one incident bore down on the mind of this second man? Do you think he had any problem raising his fist and striking this prophet? And he beat up on him pretty good because after the prophet had disguised himself and met Ahab and said, all right, you've let Benegat dad go. And he'd given this little story that uh, during the battle, this man had handed him an individual and said, you, you, you hold on him till I get back. And, and then I let him go. I, I, I let him go. And Ahab said, you've just signed your own penalty. And then the man took off his garment. And there his bloody, beaten body was evidence that he was a prophet. And the prophet said, you've signed your own penalty. Oh, what an attitude developer that was. The story of Naaman. My, the lessons that are in that story, developing, working on our minds and hearts, telling us, warning us against by, about saying, behold, I thought. The sermons that are in that, those three words, behold, I thought. And uh, lesson after lesson after lesson that comes boiling up out of that great text, working on our minds and hearts. What a Lesson on the relationship between the grace of God and man's obedient faith. God's grace wanting to heal him of his leprosy, but not until he dipped and dipped seven times in the River Jordan. He wanted his own proposals. What about Abana and Farfar? We can't make our own proposals. We don't have a right to our own proposals. We better not be substituting what we like or want instead of what God says. The lessons that just jump out of that tech one after another, working on our minds and hearts, developing our minds and hearts so that when we come to the New Testament, there's no argumentation. We just accept whatever God says. 2 Samuel 6, what's the difference in sore or shoulders and staves and cattle and a cart? What's the difference? In the mind of liberalism and most folks in the world that claim to be Bible leaders, not a, not a thing. Those are just trifling, insignificant, silly little things that uh, intelligent people should not uh, spend much time over. Let's talk about grace and love and 
and faith and blood. Those four elements in all of these things. The difference in obeying God and not obeying God. The difference in self-will and God's will. The difference in responding to God's grace and the obedience of faith and thinking grace is going to cover everything whether we respond or not. The difference in salvation and damnation. The purpose of preaching, one of them is to spend much time in the first 39 books of the Bible to get our minds and hearts ready for Matthew 1, 1 to Revelation 22, 21. The Old Testament, a heart and mind developer. If you're present never obeyed the gospel, we encourage you by faith to repent of your sins, confess Christ, be baptized into Christ, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And if you've not done that, you need to do that this morning. If you've done that and sinned in some public way, or you just need the prayers of the church, we're going to encourage you by this song that we're going to sing right now. Portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home, come home, ye who are weary, come home earnestly. is pleading, pleading for you and for me. Why should we linger and heed not his mercies, mercies for you and for me? Come home, come home, ye who are weary, come home. Tenderly Jesus is calling, calling, O sinner, come home. Oh, for the wonderful love he has promised, promised for you and for me. Though we have sinned, he has mercy and pardon, pardon for you and for me. Come home, come home, ye who are weary, come home, earnestly tender.
grateful as always to Mr. Frank for all of the work he puts into his lessons and being willing to preach the Old Testament. We're thankful that he has so much knowledge of the Old Testament to be able to uh, preach to it. You can only imagine uh, if, if many preachers tried to preach the Old Testament, they wouldn't be able to even really do it effectively. I very much appreciate Mr. Frank. Appreciate you being here, especially any of our visitors today. Appreciate your participation today in the worship of our Lord and staying focused uh, with us. And uh, we encourage you to be back tonight as we have our training class at 5 and our memory class at 5.30 and then worship again at 6. Uh, I'll be continuing the Culture War series. I think we're on session number 19 uh, on that and uh, our third one on childbearing. So I encourage you to be here uh, tonight for that. Our closing song will be number 222. Number 222, the last mile of the way. We'll sing verses 1, 2, and 4. 1, 2, and 4, then the chorus after that. 1, 2, 4, and the chorus. If I walk in the pathway of duty, if I work to the close of the day, I shall see the great King in His beauty when I've gone the last mile of the way. If for Christ I proclaim the glad story, if I seek for His sheep gone astray, I am sure he will show me his glory when I've gone the last mile of the way. And if here I have earnestly striven and I've tried all his will to obey, twill enhance all the rapture of heaven when I've gone the last mile of the way. When I've gone the last mile of the way, I will rest at the close of the day. And I know there are joys that await me when I've gone the last mile of the way.